Welcome to the Chamber Buzz with Bobby. I'm Bobby Vandenbroek, Member Services Director with the Exeter Area Chamber of Commerce. In our podcast, you will learn how people got their start, what brought them to the Exeter area, and how they would like to be remembered. We will give you a unique look into the lives of people that make up our community. And as you know, we always say people are going to do business with people they know and trust. So let's get started to know this person behind this organization. Today's guest is Rebecca True, Vice President of Community Relations at Seacoast Mental Health Center. Rebecca, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you, Bobby. I'm really honored to uh, participate in your podcast. Well, Rebecca, tell me a little bit about um, Seacoast Mental Health and your role there. So Seacoast Mental Health Center is one of the 10 community mental health centers in the state of New Hampshire. We service annually about just over 6,000 children, adolescents, adults, and their families um, in 24 towns across the eastern half of Rockingham County. Um, We also, um, broadening outside of Rockingham County, we now are also part of the new statewide mobile crisis program that launched January 1st of 2022, which means that our mobile crisis teams, if they're called out, they actually can be called outside of our catchment area as well. Wow. Uh, So my role at the center um, is community relations, as you said. Um, Essentially, my department is all marketing, awareness, fundraising, partnerships, really reaching out and working with the community. So it's because it's working with, you know, the areas and people that we serve or who might need our services. That's a big job. That must keep you very busy. Yeah, it's... um, (laughs) It does keep us busy. Um, You know, the thing is, what I always tell people, though, is that our our staff and the work we do is so amazing. I mean, my staff here, well, not my staff, but um, our staff at the center, they're they're incredible humans that do just unbelievably important and, and incredible work. And so it makes my job really easy. It becomes very easy to talk about everything that we do and why it's important and try and do communications that, you know, start to break down stigma and normalize mental health care as healthcare when the people that are doing it in our center are so good. I know that we, as a as the chamber, the extra area chamber, we've had a great working relationship with uh, Seacoast Mental Health. And um, I know that you all have been very active in the chamber and we just want to say thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you do. Um, it is amazing. And, um, Certainly, unfortunately, it's needed. Um, and it's yeah, it's so needed, especially now. I mean, it, it's no surprise; it's in the news everywhere. Um, you know, especially with when COVID came and has continued to be here in its various different forms, the mental health services demand has just skyrocketed, and it's skyrocketed across all populations. You know, it's the demand for um, for children is enormous. Right now, um, you know, our adult population is still struggling with the same things, the substance use disorder population that we service and that we work in tandem with a lot of area partners, you know, is struggling incredibly hard. So it's really, it is, it's a really tough time and it's a tough time for literally everybody. So from, from my perspective and lens, it has unfortunately helped, I think, normalize the conversation a little bit more 
because every single person you know over the past almost 24 months now has struggled in some way and maybe in ways that they never would have identified before. That's a really good point, actually. I never really looked at that perspective, um, but that's a really good point. And uh, maybe, maybe there is a silver lining to all of this. Um, if people see it as being more normal, asking and looking for help, um, if, if they're more likely to get it. So that, that, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. Unfortunately, well, yeah, I mean, you have to find the silver lining, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you have to. And, and, it, and it's true. And that's part of why our staff is, is so overstretched right now is, and, and it's, in, again, it's a catch 22. It's a good thing. And yet at the same time, we have people walking through our doors and all of our sister centers doors and every single private practitioner and the hospitals asking for support because human beings need support. And we've all been pushed in ways we never actually would have envisioned being pushed before. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people that never would have raised their hand before that are. And that's a good thing, it's a necessary thing, but it, it also has shown how much, how many more providers we need to service the demand. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for sharing that information. Um, let's get started getting to know you and how you, where you are. So did you grow up locally? Are you from around this area? I am not. I am a Jersey girl. Um, Jersey girl. I am born and raised until college years um, in North, in North Jersey, a little town called Mendham, which is about 45 minutes um, south of New York City. And it, it still sort of is, but it was my time horse country. Oh, okay. Okay. And tell me a little bit about, so how did you get here? <laughs> um, so my, you know, my, my family of birth, my dad was transferred. He was an AT&T, a good eighties AT&T guy, you know, where you started and stopped your career with AT&T, your whole career. And so he was transferred up here when I was at the end of high school and he oh, wow. um, commuted my senior year back and forth between New Jersey and Massachusetts so that I didn't have to move. Oh, and nice. it was, yeah, he had people in both states, but he did. He had an apartment in Haverhill, Massachusetts. He, he would fly it during the weeks. He would fly back home on weekends. It was very, very tough. I, as an adult now, I realize how tough that was. Absolutely. I was, of course, in my own world as an 18 and 17 year old, so I had no perspective. Um, and so they moved right after I graduated, they moved up to New England. I went to college at Bates College. So I was up here also. And I ended up just like many of us did. I just settled in Boston afterwards. Um, and outside, except for graduate school, I pretty much have lived in the greater Boston, New England area for the rest of my life so far nice. throughout my life. Yeah. What are your parents' first names? My dad's name is Bob and my mom's name is Joanna. And you just said that your dad was uh, worked with AT and T his entire career. He did. He um, yes. He he was one of the one of the people who you know started as a mechanical engineer and worked his way up into very um, senior level executive positions by the time he was done. Yeah, you don't see people working their entire career in one business anymore. Yeah, he was very old school, you know, had a um, 
he went to Drexel University and he had the sort of like the co-op program like Northeastern does in Boston, um, Drexel's in Philadelphia. And he had one of those programs, his co-op was with AT&T and then they hired him right out of school. So yeah, it was literally, it's the only place he's worked. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, I would like to see more of that happening. I guess I'm old school too. So. Um, and what about your mom? My mom was a high school English teacher. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, she always worked. Did you have her as a teacher? Oh, no, no, she she was very cognizant of that. She ended up teaching in um, private school. I was a public school kid, but um, she taught at all boys private schools in both New Jersey. And then when they moved up here, she taught at St. John's Prep in oh. Danvers, Mass. Oh, nice. um, but she was very cognizant, even when she went back to sort of transition her hours and, and revamp some of the training she needed, because she took a few years off when I was young. And for years, I resented her because she separated my best friend and I in second grade because she was an aide in the team we were both on. And then they moved me so that she would very specifically not be in the same educational structure as me. <laughs> and I was mad at her for years. <laughs> the things parents do for our best interest. Okay, uh, yeah, it was very unfair at that time. It, seven or eight, whatever I was. <laughs> I love it. Now, did your, did your dad grow up in a big family? Was he one of many or was he? Just... He, he is oddly enough. So my lineage is Italian. He was oddly enough an only child, which I am oddly enough an only child. Um, <clears throat> however, he lived in a very traditional structure back in his, you know, his years in the fifties and where everybody lived together. So he grew up in a row house in Philadelphia where, you know, my grandparents and he were on one floor. My great grandparents were on another floor. My grandmother had like a ton of siblings. They all lived within like not even square blocks, like within three houses of each other. Oh, I love So that. he grew up my extended family and they, you know, my growing up was coming over from New Jersey on Sundays to have dinner oh. with. Uh, Sunday dinner. It's perfect. Perfect. And, and what about your mom? Did she wrap it up? My mom has, no, she has one, um, one sister. They're extremely close. Nice. So, um, and they also were in, they lived in Easton, Pennsylvania. So we were all sort of that an hour around Philly kind of situation. Um, we were the furthest, you know, we moved forever. I, my grandmother was afraid she would never see her granddaughter again two hours away. So, I mean, it was like a lot of drama and guilt. That's so funny. It is pretty funny when you, when you really think about it. So tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up. What was a typical day like for you growing up in oh, a family upbringing? Well, you know, I think like most, I mean, in terms of where I grew up, I think most, like most kids, like wherever they grew up is boring, you know? So, I mean, and the reality is I had this fantastic childhood, <laughs> um, you know, I had, I had a Gen X kid childhood. So I, you know, I, I used to think my parents were super overprotective and the reality is they never had any idea where any of us were and they didn't care and it was fine, you know, <laughs> so, and we were all fine and we drove all over North Jersey and South Jersey and the shore for days and no one ever had any idea where we were. And that was fine. You know, um, it's so yeah, I mean, I was, 
I was a very, I don't, I don't know. I was a good student. I played the flute. I played basketball. You know, I sort of did my thing. I mean, I guess I was an average kid, but you know, I, I was played outside. You know, we, again, sort of in my era, it was, I lived next door to a house with eight girls. Oh, and awesome. Yeah. So as an old, there were always six in the house at a time because it was a 30 year difference. So there were six of all different ages, but my best friend was a year older than me who lived next door. And so my younger childhood was basically, I'd leave the house and I'd come back when the street lights came on and we'd spend the days in the woods and we built forts and we rode our bikes and my mother on multiple occasions, somebody rang their doorbell holding me all battered up from, they found me in a street from my bike, you know, and I was, I was a big, they, you know, they called tomboys. I was just an outside active, dirty kid all the time. Love it. I love it. It is so different now. Um, and I think kids really miss that. You know, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it is different. And when my kids were younger, I would say to them, like, I'm going to lock the doors. I'm actually like, you can't come back inside. And we don't live right now in an area that, although I didn't live in a neighborhood either. So, you know, I would say to them like, yeah, you can go bike six miles to downtown. I don't care. You know, like we told you the rules and I've watched you bike. I've biked with you enough, like go do it. And honestly, you have helmets. I didn't, I flipped over my handlebars more times than I can count. You'll be fine, you know? <laughs> But a lot of times their friends wouldn't be able to do it or they would meet there and they would go down and do it by themselves. And it, it is very different, you know. It is. And there's I feel very lucky for the era I grew up in. Absolutely. As, as, a, as do I. Um, there was a real sense of independence, even at a very early age. And, you know, taking that with you through your adult life. Um, yeah, whether you wanted it or not. That was <laughs> exactly. That's how it was. Yeah. Just how it yeah. was. Um, I have to say, I liked it. So <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It was fun. So you said you went to a public school mm -hmm. and that was both elementary and, and uh, high school. Yeah. All the way through the Mendham, Mendham borough school district. And, and then, then the, you went to Boston, you said? I went to Bates college in Maine in Lewis and Maine. Oh, in Maine. Oh, Bates. yeah. Up in Lewis and Maine. Um, it's a private liberal arts nice. college. Yeah, I was a political science major. And yep, spent my road crew and I uh, ran track and, you know, did all the outdoor stuff that we do in Maine. And I realized now having a child in college that I, that I really didn't take advantage of anything that my parents paid for. But I think that is also typical. Well, it's like you took care, you took, you took full advantage of the education. So that's a good thing. That's One would hope. So how did you get, well, let's start back. What was your very first job? Oh my goodness. My very first real job outside of farming myself out to mow lawns, which technically would be my first job. My first job was I was a day camp counselor oh. in the summers. Nice. So if you mean like my first, first job or my first real job? No, your first job. 
first real job is good. That will, that will work. Okay. So my first job out of college is um, I graduated and I wanted to save the world environmentally. So I um, very, you know, lofty liberal arts student. <laughs> um, so I worked in, I was lucky in 1993 and I actually got a job. And I worked um, in a law firm as a paralegal. And it was, you know, it was a law firm for the good guys. It was a law firm that, you know, stomped around and tried to represent um, people who down in, in Brockton, Massachusetts, for example, that had um, a lot of the toxic waste dump and were having cancer as a result. So it was, they were, the, they were representing the little guy. Wow, that's so. interesting. Okay, so what did you take from that job that you've brought with you with a, to every position you've held since then? So one of the things I think, so there was a, there's something that I, there's two things I've taken. One I would say was positive and one was a, a learning of something I thought was negative. So <clears throat> I think that's a good, really good question. The positive is I really respected the fact that they did work to help people. I really, really respected it a lot. Um, these were three men who at the time are, I realized are probably younger than I am now, um, who created a law firm specifically to represent those that can't represent themselves. Wow. Um, and that I have a lot of respect for. And then on the flip side, um, they had really, really, poor communication. Like they, I realized that they had not figured out how to manage people and how to work with, you know, operate the business aspect of it. And, and that's something, some of the, the earliest learnings from that, but I, but it was much more the positive. I have a ton of respect for those three men that's who had this firm. And both are very good lessons to learn uh, for future and bringing with you. So, especially mm -hmm. in the field that you're in, so. That congratulations to you for learning those. There are there are always lessons, and there are not always. Well, yes, there are. <laughs> so, what brought you to Seacoast Mental Health? What what intrigued you? What why why there? Why? Um, yeah. So my whole career has actually grown over time. Um, I ended up falling into a healthcare related job right after that first job, and that was the job that sort of set my decision on i am really really interested in healthcare and again it was the same kind of lofty thing i knew i i, I see that it's broken in the 90s i'm gonna fix it you know and so <laughs> that clearly has not happened but that's what got me to go to business school that's what encouraged me to go and go into business school and, and focus on business with a healthcare management bent to it. And every job I've had since then has fallen somewhere within the industry, all different aspects of it, but it's always been for-profit and it's always been on that side. Um, the only other job I'd say that I'm incredibly fascinated with is working within a hospital, which is one thing I've consulted in hospitals. I've done, I've done extremely large medical practices, but the hospital aspect is probably that one last piece that is something that very much intrigues me, but it's working with people that conduct care for others is some is the piece that has always driven me is that ultimately the organization provides a needed benefit that's really a benefit it's not a thing it's not a a, a pretty bobble it's a thing 
that someone needs in their life to function. Um, and I had just hit a point, what brought me here is I had really hit a point in my career a couple years ago um, due to some personal things that I, you know, going in life, we had my um, a serious health crisis in my, in my um, immediate family with my husband in 2017. And I had this great job that I really, I love the team. They're doing amazing work, but it was a huge commute. It was in a very, very stressful job. It was a, a really, it was like a great job, but it was very, very tough. And I really hit a point of having to assess, is this worth it? Right. Especially knowing what we just went through. And, um, and the answer was no. <laughs> and so I really started to assess what are the things, what are the few things, you know, if I'm going to make a change and I sat down and talked with my husband, I said, you know, I, I just, I feel like I'm walking uphill in molasses every single day and I don't know what to do about it. And his always answer is we always land on our feet. We'll always figure it out, but you need to define what that means. So, you know, I took some time and I was able to really go inside myself and figure that out. And it was really, I have a few areas that really, really matter to me. You know, mental health is one. Substance use disorder care is another. And the last piece being real boots on the ground, providing medical care. Those are the three things. And so, oh my gosh. I really started looking around and for me, it's tough because I can get like, kind of like, oops, squirrel. Like I, there's like a, a shiny job that comes up over here, you know, oh, that would be great. And my husband's like, where's your focus? Where's your focus? <laughs> and I had, there were a few opportunities that presented themselves and this was one of them. And it really, you know, as soon as I came in here and I started talking to the team, this was the one that I was sort of like, I think that's it. It's going to mean some major decisions for us, but I think that's the one. Well, good for you. It must have been a very difficult decision to make. And, uh, but we're, we're very. And then really started to look and I made, I started here in August of 2019. Yeah. You've had some big changes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, every now and then I, I keep looking to my husband saying one of these years, we're going to be bored some year we're actually going to be bored and we're going to go through the whole year and say, well, that was boring. Well, I can promise you that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> That was supposed to be 2020. That was going to be a more boring year because at least one kid would have settled where he was going in his life and all that kind of stuff. But that not, did not happen, obviously. It's <laughs> nothing boring about 20. I love it. Well, I hope your, your husband's health is better. He is. He is. He um, had a very out of blue, as I guess most of them are, um, diagnosis of a type of cancer. Um, in his mid fifties. So it was, it was, it was a blindsiding moment, <laughs> but he is, and he's now almost coming into four and a half years of permission. Oh, so we're great. almost at that five-year mark. Oh, good for him. Yeah. For him. Well, let's um, talk about your life today. Um, it sounds like you're married. I am married. <laughs> and you live locally. We do. We live in Lee, New Hampshire. Oh, that's a great community. Yeah, it's, we've liked it. We've yeah. liked it. It's worked well. You have children? I have two sons. I have a now freshman in college, although he was a 2020 grad. He took a, a really fantastic gap year. 
Um, and I have a sophomore in high school. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I have big people. They're big people. They're like real people, you know, like they become people that most of the time you not just love, but you like, like I enjoy, I really enjoy hanging out with these people. You're my people. <laughs> isn't that neat? <laughs> I love that. It is a nice transition, isn't it? When they move out of being children and really become young adults and you can have conversations, meaningful conversations and um, it's always a really fun transition. It's so much, I'm a grandparent, so I'm, I'm really oh, looking wow. forward to those coming. Um, I'm a grandmother of triplets, so I'm really looking forward to those 14-year-olds um, getting to that level. Oh my goodness, triplet 14-year-olds. It's crazy. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> boys or girls? Pardon me? Boys or girls? Oh, they're boys. They're boys. Okay. They're still a lot. <laughs> yes, they're, they're certainly a lot. I don't, I, you know, I thought when they were babies, it was a lot, but as 14 year olds, it's a lot. No, the teenage, the teenage years are a whole different ball game there. I mean, not to discount that any of it's not hard in the moment, but, but until you, I think until you hit that point, you have no idea, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> don't realize until you have teenagers what you put your parents through you know <laughs> that was an eye-opening experience <laughs> I have actually and I was I like to think that I was actually a fairly easy kid and I have apologized on multiple occasions <laughs> to my mother <laughs> I understand completely I had no idea I had no perspective oh that's great so Rebecca, where do you see yourself personally and professionally in 10 years from now? So let's see, I will be turning 61 in 10 years from now. It's funny because we're having a lot of these conversations at home right now because my husband's older than I am and he is on the cusp of assessing because of the type of job he has, does he retire from this job and then move on to something else or do you, and where do we what is our next step? And, you know, we have two more years in the school district until we're no longer needing to be in the school district. So there's like all that conversation. And it's totally surreal to me, honestly. Like I still forget. I'm like, oh, you're 50. Like I totally, completely forget that. <laughs> I would say professionally, the type of work that I do, regardless of where it is, I still see myself working in an organization that is doing something to support people in their daily lives. Um, it's, just, it's just what I've always done. And whether that's in nonprofit or whether that's back in for-profit or what that means, I actually don't know. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see myself not having retired at that point, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I don't even know, you know, it's like we have all these things up in the air and the personal and the professional because of these conversations we're having at home bleeds. Um, I have, I'm very lucky that I have two parents who are still alive. Um, they only live about a half an hour from us. Okay. <clears throat> so, and yet they're aging significantly. I mean, my dad turns 80 this year, my mom's 79. So what that means they're a, and I'm an only child, they are a major factor. You know, we are not taking off and moving out West or something <laughs> in the next years right so there's an aspect of we are here 
whether it's full-time, part-time, or in some capacity, I don't know. Um, so I see myself still working locally. Um, I don't ever see myself driving two hours for work again. <laughs> and honestly, personally, I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things that I do, you know, and I, I just see those, especially as my kids are moving on and embracing their own life. I love to watch my kids do their thing. You know, I love to hear what my older son, when he calls and says, hey, and he's only been in college for three months. And I've gotten like four calls where he's like, guess what? I have this cool thing, you know, and that is the best thing to me, um, you know, that 10 years from now is one married. I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's just a weird grandparent of time. I mean, who knows? Right. <laughs> That's so just, you just don't know. You don't know. My, my husband has been really helpful as our kid, as the kids have aged, he's been really helpful over the years to every now and then just kind of drop a, remember you need to own your own life still. And he's really encouraged me all this time, like develop your own passions, make sure you're not, your kids are not only the focus of your life because when the day comes, they leave. And I see this with people and I get it now when they leave, if that was everything, you're going to fall apart. And so I feel very grateful where my life is very, very full outside of my kids, even though the kids are, I throw myself in front of a bus for them. You know, it's just what I always tell them, <laughs> but, but it's, it's been, they're your kids. Of course you would. Right. And I always will. And I, you know, we say that to them, like this, the door is never locked to you and it won't, you could be 40 and the door won't be locked to you. Right. You know, but I may be off traveling the world. The door just might be unlocked. You know, it's, like, it's that balance. Great advice from your husband. What a, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, it yeah, is. it's been really good. It's been a nice reminder at yeah. times because there have been times where I sort of was losing track of that. And, you know, you'd be like, mm, bring it back. <laughs> That's great. Well, Rebecca, thank you. We have finished the first segment and we're going to move into the second segment where I ask you the same 10 questions that I ask every guest. Um, you ready? Okay. What is your favorite word? Platypus. Oh, I love that. And you can have a reason. <laughs> you just like saying it. <laughs> um, there's actually, there are two reasons. One, and they're kind of funny to me. One is that for some reason as a kid, that word always made me laugh. And I mean, a kid like in high school and I had all these jokes with my friends about that word because they could say it and I would like fall on the floor laughing. But the other thing is my oldest son he he did early intervention because he just like you know two and a half three and as a crazy spastic first time parent I'm like why isn't he talking why isn't he talking and so we had early intervention work with him and he was fine he just didn't want to talk which now if you know him makes all the sense in the world and he went from not talking to like one of his first words being uh, out of the blue platypus oh my gosh that is so isn't that weird? He was in the car and he just like, they, they were talking about it in daycare because I called the teacher in daycare and I was like, I need to ask you something. And they had read a book about it. That and so, so funny. That's isn't that weird? I love that. What a great story. Yeah. But I was like, you haven't even said dog and now you're saying platypus. 
Oh my gosh. What is your least favorite word? Oh, this is probably fairly standard with a lot of people, but it's moist. Really? It is. And I've never, <laughs> why? I don't know. We talk about, we talk about words a lot at home because I am married to a bibliophile and because my mother is an English, was an English teacher. Um, it sounds, it's one, I, I know there's a descriptor for this, but it sounds like what it is. So I always feel sticky. <laughs> I hear that word. I love it. Well, thank you. Um, Cause you're probably the second person that has said that as my least favorite word and I'm like really there's so many other words but that that's what works for you um what makes you laugh out loud total belly laugh uh, listening to um my husband and my younger son banter back and forth because they sound at this point they sound almost like peers and they can finish each other's sentences in just the most absurd ways and it just i just love them in sense of a horror and it just cracks me up no end oh i love that it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun actually what makes you really sad what totally breaks your heart i would say it is the um the national crisis with people experiencing homelessness. It, it just literally rips me apart um, on and on so many levels. And especially now having work here um, because we do a lot of work with um, that population in different ways, connecting to services and, and the mental health care piece of it. And it's just, it just, it, I just can't wrap my head around how it is that we as a country have this horrific, horrific crisis. I am, I, I, I so agree with you. It, it is unbelievable that there are so many people that need so much help and don't have access to, to it. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, what sound or noise? I love the sound of water. It's just very, very, very soothing to me, I think, particularly um, like the waterfall kind of sound. Mm -hmm. I agree. What sound or noise just drives you crazy? Can't stand the sound of it. Uh, I can't pick one from yesterday. Um, I would say it's when we have to plow things like my husband has a plow in his pickup truck and when you need to plow two inches of slush so you're not actually scraping snow but it is this god awful grating metal on asphalt sound it just i, I was in the house yesterday and the hairs in the back of my neck were standing up for about a half an hour <laughs> <laughs> it's like the chalkboard thing right exactly i was feeling very grateful he was doing it and horrified all the same time <laughs> Now, Rebecca, I did mention that we were going to, I was going to ask you a question where you need to mute yourself for the answer. So yeah. this is the question. What is your favorite curse word? And now you can mute yourself. <laughs> and now you can come back on. Okay. <laughs> it's always really fun to ask people that question. And the real- We all have one. <laughs> we all have one. That's right. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> 
And if any of my girlfriends hear this, they'll know exactly what it is. <laughs> well, I hope you share this podcast with them so they will hear it. I will. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would love to do something in oceanography. I okay. think the idea of working in the, the sea just fascinates me. The sea and space, they're just mind boggling to me on all these different levels. And to, to be someone that works in the deep waters studying um, the, the nature that's down there, I just think would be astounding. Well, that sounds really cool, actually. Maybe at some point, You'll have that opportunity. (laughs) 10 years. So what profession other than your own would you not want any part of? I think it's probably what my husband has been doing for decades, um, which is he works for a large power company in Massachusetts. And he, he's not in this role now, but he, for decades, he worked in the underground department. And so they're under they're as it sounds they're underground in the manholes taking care of all that stuff no thank you and he is a big guy who's really not afraid of anything and he is petrified of rodents as a result of that job and just the whole sound of it is just, yeah. No. Yeah, i'm good with i'm good with that as well yeah and my last question for you rebecca for today is what would you like your legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered or what would you like people to remember about you? <laughs> That's a big one, isn't it? It is a big one. I think, I think that <clears throat> I would want people to just use one word if they had to describe me and it's what I try and do every single day um, and has over the past, especially over a little over a decade, been really integral in my life, which is being authentic. So whether somebody likes that or doesn't like it or <clears throat> where it stands is being true to who I am and true to who I, what I believe and doing it in a way that is truthful and honest and respectful because that last piece is really important. You can't just be live what you believe and do it in a disrespectful way, right? Um, and doing that to help people, in, even if you don't know that you're helping it. So just having your existence be a positive one in a really truthful way. Well, Rebecca, it sounds like you have a very good start to, um, to living that life. And uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing all of this information with us today. We really appreciate it. And it's definitely given me and our listeners a bigger insight into who you are and how you got to where you are and how you'd like to be remembered. So thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I don't think so. I'm just so appreciative of what you all do. You do a really important service for the community too. Um, Yeah, it's really important. I mean, everything, relationships are everything personally and professionally. And so however they get built, and I think especially with everything going on with, with, um, pandemic over time and technology in general, the more, the more ways that we can connect as humans is really valuable. So thank you for providing that too. Well, thank you. And I think you're, you're right on with that as well. So I'd like to thank my guest today, Rebecca Troop from Seacoast Mental Health Center. Rebecca, would you like to give a website or a phone number on how folks can reach you? 
Yeah, so our website is a little bit awkward, um, <clears throat> but it's smhc-nh.org. We have two office numbers, um, and then we have the new crisis number. And so I actually think the best thing for people to do is to go to our website um, because depending on, you know, if it's for, for getting an intake or um, assessing if they need sort of regular services, that's our office numbers, but the crisis support number, um, which is now one number statewide, that is on our website as well in a number of places, and that's where it's 24-7 crisis support, and if necessary, it will come to you wherever you physically are, that's and it's, an, it's great. Yeah, that's an amazing service. Um, it is. And so I would encourage people to, and I really just encourage people that if, that if you think you're struggling or if you think you need support in any capacity to pick up the phone and somebody will be able to talk you through that. Nice. So the website one more time and then the okay. not for today. It's smhc-nh.org. Thank you so much. And I would like to um, thank our listeners. We appreciate you joining us for today. Um, for now, you can find our podcast on the Exeter Area Chamber website, www.exeterarea.org. Um, we have also added um, iHeart uh, Media, um, Google, Anchor.fm, Apple, and Breaker. So those are some other locations that you can find the, odd, the podcast as well. This is Bobby Vandenbaugh, Member Services Director for the Exeter Area Chamber, signing off for today. Please join us again for the Chamber Buzz with Bobby. Have a great day. The Chamber Buzz with Bobby is built and distributed through Anchor by Spotify. This podcast is produced by the Exeter Area Chamber of Commerce. To learn more about the Chamber, visit exeterarea.org. Thank you.